you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 1. Psalm chapter 8, verse 1, when you find your place, please stand to honor the reading of God's word. Psalm chapter 8, beginning verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth! Who has set thy glory above the heavens? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength, because of thine enemies, that thou mightst steal the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man? that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beast of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit to go into our lives and to meet us where we are, to teach us the things that we need to know to follow you day in and day out. And I pray, Lord, that we would be about your business, or that we would dedicate ourselves to you, live for you each and every day, Lord, I pray that we would not be distracted by the temporary things of this world. Whether it be famous people or politicians, or the news, or the weather. Lord, help us to focus, to be dedicated to you, to die to ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow you every day. And Lord, whatever that means, I pray for faithfulness, obedience, a servant's heart. Lord, that you would teach us and grow us in our faith. Put us through various trials and tests and temptations and help us, Lord, to pass them with your help. And God, I pray that the people around us would see Jesus in us as we go through suffering in this life. I pray that they would see the light of Christ. Help us, Lord, to be willing to give up anything so that others may know you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How many of you have a pet or have had a pet? I want you to raise your hand real high. Let me see. All right, now keep your hands up if that pet has ever harmed you. Put your hand down if you've never been hurt by a pet. Have you ever been, have you ever been bitten by a pet? All right, you can put your hands down. Have they ever accidentally rolled your, uh, you know, hurt you uh, in some way? They didn't intend to all the time, but sometimes they do. I've got a cat in my house that will bite you. I've got a dog that nobody can handle but me out of the whole house. I've got a turtle that we dare not stick our finger next to its mouth. I mean, just 
We have lots of pets. I don't know why we keep all these things around that we feed and just, I guess we enjoy looking at them or uh, petting them. We don't pet the turtle. Um, we try to keep things in subduing. All right, how many of y'all like to mess with flowers? Raise your hand. Or, or gardens, things like that. How many of y'all have ever killed something that you intended to grow? <laughs> That's why some of you don't have flowers or gardens. Uh, we're really bad at taking care of some things. We're really good at others. I told Jody when we got married, I said, if you want a pet or something, let's have kids first and see if we can keep them alive, and then you can get a pet. And you laugh at that, but it really is harder to take care of a pet than it is a child in many ways. Because have, have any of y'all ever had a pet bird, like one of those fancy, real expensive birds that last about 100 years? I get to go into patients' homes and I say, oh, what a pretty bird. They're like, yeah, right. You know, just, uh, we got stuck with that bird after so-and-so gave it to us because they couldn't handle it anymore. And that thing's going to outlive us. <laughs> and, and some of these pets are more than a lifetime commitment. They're generational. They get passed down. Uh, we got our turtle from, you know, a, a cousin that went to the beach and thought it would be so great to have a turtle. And they came back and gave it to my wife years later. And we've had that thing for probably 10 or 12 years, and we just keep feeding the thing, and just, you know, it's fun to look at, but, I mean, it's, it's going to live a really long time. In this life, we have the tendency to try to subdue nature. And sometimes we win, and sometimes we lose. Sometimes it goes really well. And sometimes the bird that you're trying to teach to talk says things that you don't want it to say. I mean, uh, we get in these situations in life. Kids do the same thing, by the way. Be careful what you say around toddlers. Uh, Psalm chapter 8, verse 1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. So he begins and ends this psalm with praise to God. He does. God's name is excellent. It's great. Verse 2. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength, because thine enemies that thou might steal the enemy and the avenger. Have you ever seen a military poster with a baby on it saying, you know, we want your baby to come and fight for us? No, that sounds ridiculous. Why would David say that, you know, out of the mouths of babes you've ordained praise because of thine enemies that thou might steal the enemy and the avenger? It's a very weird thing, but I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. I want you to see some of what Jesus is talking about through the psalmist David. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said unto them, It is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple, and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. And he said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? They wanted Jesus to shut up the children. And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings 
thou hast perfected praise. The religious folks that were supposed to be there serving God and worshiping Him were put to shame by the children that were glorifying Jesus. That still happens today. Religious people get in their minds that they're serving God and they want the children to shut up and go away. To stop bothering them. And I've had people in church saying, look at this mess these children have made. And I said, isn't it great? You know, that's what I do. That's my response to the people that get really frustrated with children in church. If you know me, you know who I am, I will carry around a screaming baby while I'm preaching. I don't care. I would rather have a child in church than have a church die because the membership gets so old that they can't reach anybody else. And I get to encounter a lot of people and I get to talk to them about their home church and they said, yes, there's only five or six of us left and as soon as we all die off, that's the end. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church of God. But many churches close their doors all the time because they hate kids. And it's a dangerous thing. So tomorrow night, come up here and we're going to give kids a lot of candy and then send them home. That's, I mean, we're, we're going to lure them in with candy and tell them about Jesus. Tonight, whenever we gather in the fellowship hall, we're going to get all that candy out. We're going to pray that God will use that to draw people to Jesus. Children are valuable to God. And many times, children can end up leading their entire families to church. Because they go to mom and daddy on a Sunday and say, please take me to church. And many times, they will put us to shame when we give our excuses. So, uh, that's what Jesus quoted in Matthew chapter 21. He was quoting Psalm uh, chapter 8, verse 2. Verse 3. When I consider thy heavens... The work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars, which thou hast ordained. I want to pause there for a second. When Moses got the tablets before the Lord, the Lord wrote down the Ten Commandments. The Bible says that he used his finger to write the Ten Commandments. Some powerful words that have lasted for thousands of years. Even in secular cultures and societies, they've been placed in courthouses. But consider... Thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars which thou hast ordained. Uh, you can go outside, I think the past month or so we've seen Jupiter get closer to the earth than it's been in a long time. And you can take your binoculars outside and supposedly see the rings of Jupiter. Well, my eyes must be bad because I never did see those rings. But we don't own a telescope. It'd be broken if we did. Um, it's just how it is. Too many kids. I'd have to hide it. But there are so many wonders in the sky. And people study astronomy and they, they look at these things and they, you know, these telescopes and microscopes that we go so small with and then we, we try to see the largest things that we could possibly see. And you look at all this stuff and it just brings you back to God. One scientist said, he said, you take the first cup and you, you take a drink out of it and it makes you an atheist. And by the time you get to the bottom of the cup, you realize God's been there the whole time. He said, it's so frustrating to get to the end of yourself and see that nothing but God could do all the things that have been done. Hmm. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars, which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him? How many of you have ever just felt so small when you study science? 
I mean, it just really makes you feel so insignificant. And the Son of Man that thou visitest him. You know, who is man that thou art mindful of him? The Son of Man that thou visitest him. Uh, or some translations say, cares for him. God, why do you take time on me? What is it about me that you are intimately concerned with the details of my life? You know how many hairs are on my head. You know when I get up, when I lay down. You know everything about me all the time. And, and it makes me think of a parent with their first child. I say their first child because, you know, some of y'all are second or third children and there may not be many baby pictures of you or anything like that. But with that first child, you take pictures of their feet because they're so cute. I mean, everything that they do is just adorable. And when you've had 18, it's like, yeah, I've seen that before. <laughs> you know, it's just, yep, let's move on. We're, we've got the houses on fire. We've got to do something else. <laughs> I mean, really, even as parents, we're not as intimately involved in our children as God is. He knows more about us than we know about ourselves. My wife amazes me. Sometimes she'll tell me stuff about myself, and I'll have to, I'll have to come to an understanding about that about myself. I mean, it's something I didn't know. And she will inform me of things that I do, whether good or bad. God knows more about you than you know about yourself, and God is so intimately aware of you that it makes the psalmist say, What is man that thou art mindful of him, the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. So you look at all this, and, and you wonder, why did God do this? What is the purpose of our existence? And um, Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. You know, you get into some of these philosophical and all these arguments, and, and if you've gone and studied all this stuff, it's, it's so vast that you could study it the rest of your life. And yet, this is just a song about it. You know, he's writing a song about the, the way that he feels sometimes. And David spent a lot of time under the stars. But I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. Because this is so much more involved than we realize. Hebrews chapter 2. Beginning verse 5. So, I, I do a lot of funerals, and people say, oh, they're an angel now. And I want to say, no, they're not. <laughs> they're not. Uh, it's, people do not become angels. It, it's really not a thing. So, if you're ever at a funeral and somebody says that, you don't have to deck them or anything, but also don't take it, because it's not true. If you read the Bible, you study it, there, it's so much more involved. And, and we're looking at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5, through the rest of the chapter. We'll spend a majority of our time here. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5, it says, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come where we're speaking. Okay. We're going to go to Genesis later on, but, but God made everything, and then he put it under subjection to mankind. And we broke it. <laughs> we, we broke the whole thing. We sinned and destroyed what God was doing. He knew we were going to break it. It's, it's much like me handing something to one of my children. And the telescope, you know, I said, it will get broken. That's what's going to happen. How many times has somebody come to you and said, fix it? It's been a lot around my house. 
Most of the time, what do we do? We throw it in the trash. <laughs> we, just, we just get rid of it. They'll say, I'm sorry, it's broken beyond repair. And what we really mean is, I'm not spending the time, energy, effort, and money that it's going to cost to fix that, so I'm sorry, it's broken. God didn't do that. God figured out a way to fix it before we broke it. He knew we would break it when he handed it to us. But he wanted us to see what he could do with something that was broken. So, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5, it says, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak. It doesn't belong to angels. It never will. It never has. It will belong to us. Verse 6, But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful? Why didn't he just say David? What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou bistest him. Sound familiar? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. Paul's. I ask you at the beginning of this sermon how many of y'all have ever been attacked by something that you held as a pet? And a lot of you said yes. And how many of y'all have ever killed a plant you were trying to grow? And a lot of you said absolutely. What are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus being able to put all of creation under his authority. He left nothing that is not put under him, but now we see not yet all things put under him. So it hasn't happened yet. We're, we're still waiting. And I there's evidence of this all around us all the time. That the world is in chaos because Christ has not yet come to rule over the earth. As soon as Jesus shows up, the world will take all of its power and all of its ability and try to turn against him and they will find out quickly that it's not a fight that they can win. I told my kids last night, can't remember what I was telling them to do, but I said, if you fail to do this, we are going to fight and you are going to lose. I said, that's how it's going to go. So you might as well just go ahead and do what I'm asking you to do. If a man can't rule his own household, he shouldn't be a pastor. So I try to make sure that my children know me. If we had an arm wrestling match, I would win. I don't always win. But I try. <sighs> Verse 9, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death. See, God had a purpose in making us less powerful than angels. Because Jesus could not have been killed had mankind not been made less than an angel. We see Jesus crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Jesus is our hope of salvation because he died in our place. If you've never asked Jesus to save you, you're going to die. And it'll be forever. Verse 10. For it became him for whom all are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through Sufferings. Now that's weird. 
Jesus was made lower than the angels, so he could help <coughs> And if we could do away with all the suffering in the world, we would. But God designed it this way. Because without that suffering, without that death, he couldn't fix what we broke through his shed blood. Verse 11. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. It makes me think of Jesus leading his disciples around and telling them stuff and encouraging them and, and, and growing them. And then they would just do something stupid like argue who's going to be first and second in the kingdom of heaven and who's going to sit on your right hand and on your left and is he talking about the bread because we forgot to bring bread? And he's like, no. I don't know what he... So many times they just didn't get it, but he wasn't ashamed to call them his brethren. Why? Because he was working in them to perfect them. Sometimes I frustrate my brother and sister by misspelling things and saying the wrong grammar on purpose. It drives them crazy. Verse 12, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, which we're going to do later. This doesn't actually become the real flesh and blood of Jesus, but we, we did the Lord's Supper, the bread and the grape juice, because we're seven babies. Um... We do that to remember Jesus' flesh being ripped open and his blood being poured out on our behalf. He also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that hath the power of death, that is, the devil. So our enemy is destroyed. What was prophesied in Genesis that somebody would be born that would strike at the head of the devil. And Jesus came 2,000 years ago and was broken and his blood was poured out and it defeated the devil. It was finished back then. A fatal wound to the enemy that will eventually play out in his demise. Verse 15, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You might be a slave to sin today. What I really mean is you might be a slave to death. The only way that you can be set free from that slavery is by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You have to call on him to set you free. Once he does, you're free indeed. Can't be placed in bondage again. Verse 16, For verily, verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to secure them that are tempted. 
So in your temptation, he can deliver you. And through your trials and tests, he can help you. And if Jesus is leading you through life, you're going to make it. But I see a lot of folks that aren't following Jesus in life. And their suffering has no meaning or purpose or deliverance. And many of them will die in their trespasses and sins, still a slave to the bondage of sin. Though God has fixed it for us, if we will place our faith and trust in Him. Verse 6 of Psalm chapter 8. Thou mayst him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. Uh, I've, I've been to SeaWorld, and I saw that big old whale out there, and they would make that thing wave and do all kinds of tricks. And I've, I've been running down the road, and, and there'll be a fence beside me, and some cow decided to come say hello and jump over the fence and scare me to death because I, I didn't know what it was about to do. Just kept on running. And I've seen videos of, of different things. Of, I don't know if you know Jackie Chan. He had this fish in a pond and he called it up to him and he said, roll over. And it rolled over and he petted its belly. I mean, I can't do that with my turtle. Um, but, you know, people have done all kinds of amazing tricks with pets. They subdued so many things. <laughs> and you find out in verse 6 that we were made to have dominion over these things. So look at Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 through 28. This is the very beginning of things. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And he let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over, the, over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. The very last verse. Is, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. God's got plans. He's worked everything out. You've seen in Genesis what he created us to do. This is before the fall. He gave us all a job to take care of this creation. We broke it. Jesus suffered and died to fix it. And everything will be placed in subjection under him. And then we're supposed to reign and rule with him for all of eternity. It's where we've been. It's where we are. It's where we're going. Praise be to God. He's got a plan. I want you to learn to walk that out in your life. Because in your life, you are going to suffer the way that Jesus did. And you're going to have trouble subduing this creation that has been marred by the fall. But when Jesus shows up, 
everything will fall under his lordship. And a baby could play in a snake's den, not worried about getting bit. I don't know about you, but I ain't placing my baby anywhere near a snake's den right now. I want Jesus to come back. I'm tired of being bitten. I've said it for 20 years. I've been a pastor for a long time. That God called me to be an under-shepherd and his sheep bite. Brothers and sisters in Christ, have you ever been hurt by another brother or sister in Christ? Absolutely. Because at any given time, any one of us is subject to go back to that old lifestyle of sin. I want to encourage you to lay that stuff down and get rid of it. With that, I'm going to ask my deacons to come forward. And Miss Kathy, if you will, go to the piano. The very first thing that I do when I do the Lord's Supper is this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I start in verses 27 through 29, which is the examination. It says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So if you've never been born again, don't drink the grape juice. Don't eat the bread. But if you have been born again and you realize that there's some kind of sin in your life that needs to be dealt with, you need to pray right now and ask God to help you deal with that. Confess it before him that it is a sin. Ask him to help you. Get out of it. Examine yourself. Because many people who take the Lord's Supper in vain end up sick or dead. So let's pray. God, I thank you for this body of believers. Lord, I acknowledge in my life that I have not been perfect. If there are things that should be dealt with, Lord, I pray and ask for your forgiveness today. Jesus shed his blood so that I could be free of such things. You said that if I would confess my sin, that you would be faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So God, we confess before you today that we are sinners. We ask you, Lord, to clean us up. Help us, Lord, to walk in the newness of life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Father, just thank you for this day, Lord. Just remember this as we eat this bread for you, Lord. Lord, just remember this day.
Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup.
After the same manner also, he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, as often as ye drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread, and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this body of believers. I thank you for the opportunity to fellowship together in taking the Lord's Supper, to commune with one another and with you. Lord, I pray that we would go out this week and serve you and honor you with the choices and decisions that we make. Help us, Lord, to please you and you alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.